So if you'd please meet me in Genesis 24. It is, it is a bit of a long passage, so yeah, let's just jump right into it. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you then, uh, then you, you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made... By the well of water at the time of evening, the time when the women go out to draw water. Okay, I'm going to turn this off and speak very loudly.
He was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house for a place and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He said, speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him he was given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose, in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said, The Lord, before whom I have walked, will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son, and from my clan, and from my father's house. Then you will be freed from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will not be, or you will be freed from my oath. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. <coughs> Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, Please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And who will say to me, Drink, and I will also draw, and I will draw from your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebecca came out with her jar, her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord the God of my master Abraham, who has led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. He cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard this word, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord, and the servant brought out jewelry of silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to, her, uh, gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, Send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman remain with us a while, at least ten days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, Do not delay me.
since the Lord has prospered my way, send me away that I may go to my master. They said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gates of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young woman arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Lehi Roy and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to, uh, to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant took, told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah. And she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. During the summer of 2009, one of the students at the Wales Evangelical School of Theology, now uh, Union School of Theology, got a, an email from another student there. And his email said, would you like to come with me to Forum? It's a, it's a conference for uh, Christian Union leaders in UK universities. I'm going to be exhibiting on the West End, raising awareness for the college among these students, these leaders perhaps of the future. Do you want to come to me? Well, this student had uh, nothing better to do. It was summer, and so we said, yep, I'll come. And one night, a girl on one of the other exhibit stands started talking to those who were on the uh, other exhibit stands. And so eventually she came to talk to him. He was taken with her intelligence and he was taken with her beauty. And so the next night he went to speak with her. And they got talking and she mentioned in passing that sometimes she likes to write short stories. And so in a stroke of genius, he, he said to her, well, here's my email address. Send me one of the stories that you have written. Well, months went by and there was no email. Eventually, an email came through and it said, I'm so sorry it's taken me so long to email. I lost your email address. Well, eventually, he stated his intentions. She said, no, thank you. I'm not interested in you and I definitely don't want to be a pastor's wife. But he, uh, he persisted until she could resist no longer. And on the 14th of July, 2012, they were married in St. John's Church in Hampstead, London. If you haven't put it all together yet, his name was Hugh. And, <laughs> and, and her name was Gloria. And as we look back on the last 10 years of our marriage, here's the main lesson we've learned. Great is God's faithfulness. 
great is God's faithfulness. We are weak. He is mighty. We are unwise. He is wise. We are powerless. He is powerful. And we continue in Genesis tonight. And the point of this, the the longest chapter in the whole book is this. Great is God's faithfulness. Now, I've mentioned in the past that I'm not sure how long this series in Genesis is going to be, but I do have clarity on that now. If God wills, we're going to end with the death of Abraham in the next chapter. Uh, We looked at chapters 1 to 11 as one standalone series, and then we moved on to something else. We resumed the series in chapter 12, and here we are in chapter 24. We'll end in chapter 25, and God willing, if God wills, we'll come back to the rest of the book in time. But remember, last Sunday night, Sarah, uh, Abraham's wife, died. And we said, didn't we, that the reason we have a a genealogy at the end of chapter 22 is because Moses, the author, is giving us a heads up. The the story is moving on. A transition is on the horizon. And the focus in tonight's passage is really on the, the next links in the chain that bring us to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in time, the one about whom the book of Genesis is all about. And as we'll see tonight, Jesus is the one who demonstrates the fullness of God's faithfulness to us. And may God bless you as we think on Jesus tonight, the one who shows to us just how faithful God really is. But my hope in addition to that tonight is that this message would commend to you a form of sanctified escapism. What do I mean by sanctified escapism? Well, one of the best ways to be encouraged as a believer is by forgetting all about ourselves and looking at what God has done in the lives of others. Because when we look back and we see how God has been working in the lives of those who have come before us, All of a sudden, we won't feel as hopeless, we won't feel as helpless as perhaps we sometimes feel. We'll look back and be able to say, their God is my God. And the God who helped him, the God who provided for her, the God who forgave him and the God who rescued them can do all of those things for me. One pastor said, you cannot know yourself, your times, or your God without history, and how true that is. And as God's faithfulness glows from Genesis chapter 24, my hope is that we will be more comforted in in the knowledge that Abraham's God, and Isaac's God, and Abraham's servant's God is our God as well that we would all be able to say, great is God's faithfulness, Lord God, to me. And perhaps if you're here tonight and you're not yet a believer, not yet a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, my hope and prayer is that you would come to realize that God has been faithful to lead you to this place tonight and to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior of your heart. Great is God's faithfulness. Number one, to his word, to his word. Now in verses one to nine, 
Abraham delivers what we can only describe as a tall order to his servant. Go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. Now Abraham's country at this point in his uh, life was 550 miles away from where Abraham was in this moment. So that would have taken about 21 to 30 days by camel. And Abraham tells his servant to ask a girl to do what God really called him to do. Leave all that you know, leave everyone that you know, and travel to a land that I will show you. And oh, by the way, with this added stipulation, marry a man whom you have never met before. All without an audible word from God, no less. And so in verse 5, the servant said to Abraham, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Understatement of the century. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came. Translation, Master Abraham, surely the girl is going to need to see and know who she's marrying if this is going to work. But Abraham says, Isaac is in the right place. This is where God has called us to be. If, I, if Isaac returns, he might want to stay. Isaac stays with me. Isaac stays here. And so on your bike or on your camel, as it were. So how could Abraham have been so optimistic about this plan working out? Well, here's the answer. Because of God's word of promise to him in the past. We're not going to read this whole passage again in this sermon, but just look with me at verse 7. It says, Abraham says, The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me, from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. The humanly impossible was no match for God's word of promise. But friends, do not miss this one fact. God had not promised that this bride hunt plan would actually work or come to anything. There was no audible word from God. There was no vision. There was no dream. The point though was God's word of promise to Abraham had created within within him a holy optimism for the future. He knew that this plan might fail. He knew that it might all fall flat on his face. It's why he says there in verse 8, but if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. That is, Abraham knew that this plan might fail, but Abraham was optimistic because he knew what God had promised him. The promise of descendants would be fulfilled in this way or some other way. The specifics didn't matter so much. The point was, God had promised. And his promises would come to pass, whether through this plan or through that plan or through some other plan. Great is God's faithfulness to his word. And that was behind Abraham's holy optimism. He didn't have the specifics. He didn't have the blueprints. 
He had a holy optimism because God's word cannot fail. What a word that is for us to consider tonight. Because here's the truth. We don't have the details of our future either. We don't have God's blueprint for our lives either. God has written all of our days in his book, but that book is in God's library, not ours. But since God has fulfilled all of his promises towards us in Jesus Christ thus far, we can rest assured that he'll fulfill the rest one way or another. With our plans, without our plans. With our successful plans or not. God promised you, didn't he? Call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you. And we called upon him in the day of trouble and he delivered us in and through Jesus Christ. He he promised, look to me all the ends of the earth and you will be saved. And we looked upon him there at the cross of Calvary, bleeding and dying for our sins and we were saved. And so we can know that God will keep us to the end because he's promised to. We can know that God will provide for us, that he will build his church, and that he'll do everything else for us because he's promised to. And we don't need to know the specifics. We don't need to know what all of that will look like in our futures. And God doesn't even need our plans. If God has been faithful to fulfill his word to us thus far, then God will be faithful to Fulfill his word to us in the future. So friends, can I say this to us? Trust God's promises more than your plans. Trust God's promises more than your plans. Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Trust God's promises more than your plans. When Gloria and I were in Murfield and when I was serving in a similar way to the way that Michael is serving among us now, I really came to strongly believe that God was calling me and a really close friend to to revitalize a church in a neighboring town. They had this magnificent building, uh, but the congregation had dwindled down to about seven or eight people on on a Sunday morning. And so they would invite us to, to come and preach there regularly, and we, we loved them, and they were appreciative of us. Gloria was convinced it was a bad idea, and in the end, she was shown to be right. Some things transpired that made that very plain to us, and yet God has led us just as he promised to, and none of his promises have fallen to the ground with or without my plans. And so it is, friends, with with all of our plans, with all of our decision-making for our futures and for our lives, God is faithful to his word, not necessarily to our ambitions. And so, friend, make your plans, but hold them all with an open hand. Make your plans for your family. Make your plans for your career. Make your plans for your retirement. Make your plans for your ministry. Make your plans for your outreach. Make your plans for your discipleship and for the discipling of others that you know and love and are praying for, but hold them all with an open hand. 
God will bring about every word of his promise, not necessarily the plans that we have made. Great is God's faithfulness to his word. And number two, second of all, we see to his servants, to his servants as well. See, in, in verses 10 to 28, we have, we have the account of Abraham's plan succeeding through the faithfulness and the prayerfulness of his servant. We don't know who this, this servant was. He may have been the Eliezer of uh, chapter 15. We can't know for sure, but God showed great faithfulness to him and great faithfulness to Abraham too. Look again at verse 12. It says, and he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink and who shall say, drink and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. And we know from our reading that in fact God had prospered his journey, that he had found a wife for Isaac who would be suitable for him. She showed kindness and the kind of steadfast love that God had showed to Abraham, his, his master. And back then, it's amazing for us to realize the wells had these steps that would go all the way down to the, the spring of water. And given that a, a camel would typically drink 25 gallons of water and a water jar only held back then about three gallons of water, chances are Rebecca made between 80 to 100 descents down into the well and back up again. So suffice it to say, this was the one for Isaac. And there could be no doubt about that. And great was God's faithfulness, and great is God's, fa- is God's faithfulness to his servants. You see, faithful isn't just one way that God relates to his people. Faithful is who God is all the time, before you were born, throughout your life, and after your time here on earth. So friend, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. Now, some of us will no doubt be thinking tonight, Hugh, this all sounds well and good when I'm making plans. This all sounds well and good when my plans have succeeded. But what am I to do when my plans have failed? 
when my plans haven't worked out the way they worked out here in Genesis 24. I hope to be married by now, but I'm, I'm not married. Or I hoped that my husband would be converted by now, but he, he hasn't been converted. Or I hoped, that my, I hoped that I would have children by now, but I don't have children. I hope there would be peace in my home by now, but there isn't peace in my home. I hope to be healthy by now, but I am not healthy. In fact, things have gotten worse, not, not better. Where is God's faithfulness to me? Well, friend, remember what God is primarily faithful to. Because God is ultimately faithful to the work of conforming us to the image of his son. And very often, that involves hardship. Very often, that involves failed plans. Sometimes when, when people talk about the faithfulness of God in their lives, they can sometimes give us the impression that, that the faithfulness of God means God making sure that everything works out in just the way we want them to all of the time and gives us everything that we ask for. And sometimes that is what God does. And that's what God does here in Genesis 24. And sometimes when we get a staggering answer to prayer, it inspires us, doesn't it, to, to make us want to walk all the more closely with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're encouraged and we're, we're thrilled and we're, we're marveling at his faithfulness towards us. But friends, the reality is that God is primarily committed to our holiness. Not to our comfort, but our conformity to Christ. And friends, if Jesus was made perfect by suffering, then do not be surprised if you are made perfect by suffering too. Because suffering humbles us, doesn't it? It makes us more prayerful. It makes us more dependent. It makes us, more, it makes us less self-reliant, less proud, less likely to look at ourselves, and more likely to look away to God. And the furnace of affliction is very often how God burns up all of the impurities in our faith until he can see his own face in the reflection. Think about it. How do you get the good stuff out of tea or out of coffee? Well, by pouring boiling hot water out on them. How do you get the good stuff out of a Christian? By pouring boiling hot trials all over him or all over her. And so friend, think about the most painful situation in your life or think about the, mo or the worst case scenario that you so much dread from coming to pass. You need to be able to look those things in the eye and say, even in that, God will be faithful to me. Because in that trial, in that worst case scenario, God will be faithful to conform me to the image of his son. And that is what it is all about from beginning to end. Someone said this, I am afraid that all the grace that I have got of my comfortable and easy times and happy hours might almost lie on a penny. But the good that I've received from my sorrows 
and pains and griefs is altogether incalculable. Affliction is the best bit of furniture in my house. It is the best book in the believer's library. Great is God's faithfulness. Number one, to his word. Number two, to his servants. And number three, to his son. To his son. Great is God's faithfulness to his son. Look again at verse seven. It says, Abraham said, the Lord will send his angel before you. And you shall take a wife for my son from there. The angel of the Lord went ahead of Abraham's servant and found Isaac's bride. The angel of the Lord Jesus came to earth and found his bride, the church. How? Because the father had chosen her from the foundation before the foundation of the world. Elect from every nation. Ephesians 1 said, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. And so since Christ will have his chosen bride, since Christ will have the inheritance of the nations, the word for us tonight is this, make your calling and election sure. Make sure that when the, the bride is called to be presented to Christ without spot or wrinkle or blemish or any such thing, you are found in the number of those who will be presented to him. For this very reason, Peter wrote, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Billy Graham had this great story that he, he told about his, his wife, Ruth. He said, my wife, Ruth, was one of those who could lighten heavy hearts, especially mine. I will never forget when she announced what she wanted engraved on her gravestone. Long before she became bedridden, she drove through a building site, carefully following the detours and mile by mile cautionary signs. She came to the last one that said, End of construction. Thank you for your patience. And she arrived home and she said, when I die, I want that engraved on my stone. End of construction. Thank you for your patience. Billy Graham said this, she was lighthearted but serious. Every human being is under construction from conception to death. Each life is made up of mistakes and learning, waiting and growing, practicing patience and being persistent. At the end of construction, death 
we have completed the process. And so church, as we seek to make our calling and election sure, let us keep on keeping on, turning away from all that displeases God, uh, making no provision for the flesh, and practicing those means of grace that please and honor God in anticipation of being given to Christ without spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing. But if you're here today and perhaps you are not yet a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you don't have this hope of glory, my question for you tonight is this. Will you have this man? Will you have the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, God orchestrated, didn't he, all of the events of Genesis 24 from the beginning to the end. He was sovereign in bringing them all about from beginning to end. And yet, Laban and Bethuel asked Rebekah the question in verse 58, will you go with this man? And she had to say, I will go. I will go. And when they sought to delay her, she said, no, no, no. Now. I will go now. And that's how it must be with you as well. It must be now. It cannot be tomorrow. It cannot be when I'm on my deathbed. It must be now. Lest I be delayed all the way to the judgment of God and into hell itself. Since Jesus came from heaven to earth to bleed and to suffer and to die and to rise again for our salvation, then friend, you must come to him. And you must say, I will go. And I will have this man until one day you are presented as a pure virgin to Christ without spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing. And if you're asking the question, what must I then do? It is very simply the A, B, C, D. A, acknowledge that you are in fact a sinner. Believe that Christ died for you. See, count the cost of following him. And D, do it. Do it today. Today is the day of salvation. Behold, now is the acceptable time. I will have this man. Great is God's faithfulness to all who say, I will have him as my Lord and as my Savior and as my groom in the wedding feast and supper of the Lamb. We're going to sing about that now and then we're going to come to the Lord's table where we can be marvelously pointed ahead to that great